4,000 of these little cards. Uh, there's actually still a bunch at uh, in the lobby at VIP that you can still pick up today. I've been, uh, I think there are several, I don't know, a little over 100 people in the uh, Hampton Roads community that probably don't like me very much because I'm a little annoying when I do it. Um, but you know what? I'm probably going to see this again unless they come, right? It's not, it's not that bad. Nothing like that's going to happen. Nobody's going to pull out a lightsaber and try to destroy you. Anyway, uh, we were talking about, like I said earlier, we are talking about one of the most, really one of the most misunderstood um, ideas in all of Scripture. Um, this is game day, and everybody's wearing your football jerseys or football shirts. Proteins and look around. I see the Ravens. Uh, I don't see the Cowboys because I try to keep my eyes on things that are holy and pure. It's, it's a win or lose, you know. It's all or nothing. That's the thing about the Cowboys. You either love them or you hate them. Um, and, and I guess I'm not supposed to hate anything, so I don't love them. Uh, you know, you see the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Lions, uh, look around the Redskins. Packers. I feel like if you were in a Packers jersey, you're just a bandwagon. You know what I mean? Patriots shirt back there, the Bills. You gotta be a diehard fan to wear the Bills. Right? I mean, you're no fair weather fans are the Bills. Sean's talking about the Lions. But anyway, we're actually not talking about football today. We're talking about evangelism. We're talking about inviting people to church and to know Christ. You know, words change over time. Words, words change their meaning. And I'm going to share a couple of words that have changed over time. Diaper. You know the word diaper is actually from the Greek word uh, diasporos, which means pure white. Interesting that we chose a word that means pure white to put on a baby. It ain't going to end up pure white. Let me tell you, I've got two and they do not stay pure white. The word incredible means to us amazing or extraordinary or unbelievable. I mean, that's just incredible, all, you know, all those things. And we use it like, um, like if I fix a pan of brownies and I take a bite of one, I say, those brownies are incredible, right? That's actually not what the word means. The word really, in, in its original context, means not credible. Incredible, not credible, not believable. False, as if you were giving testimony in a courtroom and someone says, this is not a credible witness. This is an incredible witness because they were high when they saw the crime take place. They have no credibility. So the word incredible has changed over time. The word artificial, when we use it, we think fake, not real. But in its original context, artificial means that something is full of artistic skill. That's very different than fake. You know, if you call somebody artificial, that's kind of an insult. You're just kind of an artificial person. But it really means you're full of artistic skill. Now, you would think that the word tell, T-E-L-L, -L, would not change its meaning. That would be something, I mean, it's a four-letter word. It's not that complicated. But in its original context, it meant to count, which is why the people behind the, the, the counter at banks are called tellers. 
because they're counting money. But we don't think of tell that way. This is my favorite one. The word nice. Okay? The word nice. You ever had somebody just tell you, you're such a nice person? Or how about this? You, let me see if I can take you back to, to high school for a minute. Remember in your yearbooks, you would pass around your yearbook, and if somebody kind of didn't know you, they would just put, you seem like a really nice person. You know what I mean? Anybody have that put in your yearbook? Because when you get your yearbook, they just get passed around the class, and you know about you know 50% of the people in your class, the other 50% are just like, what did somebody... You seem really nice. I didn't get to know you. I hope I get to know you better next year. Right? Well, the word nice actually comes from the Latin word that means not to know. Which, really, when you said someone was a nice person in the original context, it meant that that person was ignorant. They were completely oblivious to reality. So think about that the next time somebody says, yeah, he's really nice. Or when somebody tries to give you a compliment and says, you're a really nice guy. I just want to, I just want to say, I appreciate you really nice. It's an insult. But because of time, you know, those things have, have changed their, their meaning, their connotation. You know, I think the word evangelism is a lot like that. I think the word evangelism has kind of a negative connotation to it in our, our culture. Because when I say evangelism, the first thing that many people think of is... Uh, that, that person you see somewhere holding up a sign that you know, pretty much says you're full of sin and you're going to die and go to hell. And that's what we think of when we think of evangelism. It's this confrontational, just kind of mean-spirited attempt to coerce someone into knowing Jesus. We think of people yelling at us. We think of people just dying and yelling at us. So I don't really count that. That's not... Or, or better yet, sometimes when we think of evangelism, we think of kind of this scenario. You come in, somebody meets you, let's say you're the one being evangelized. And you've got somebody comes up to you and says, Brother, it's so good to see you today. I just, I want to tell you about how you can get washed in the blood of the Lamb and how you can have all of the dirty filth. If you'll just plunge yourself into the blood and, and if you'll just... And that person that's never been to church before is thinking, what? That's kind of weird. You want me to cleanse myself in the blood of a sheep? Is that you? I don't think we can do that anymore. Because it had, the word me, they change. And, and sometimes we think of evangelism as people only, only done by people who are, who are either professional Christians you get paid to be a Christian. Pastors, teachers at Christian universities, teachers at Christian schools, people get paid to do this. Or we think of the people as just complete lunatics. But I want this morning to change the way you think about evangelism. Why? Because it's not an option for true followers of Christ to be concerned about people who are far from God, the very people that Jesus is concerned and cares for. It's not an option for us to reach out in compassion to them and share with them the good news of Christ. Unfortunately, in the church, the Great Commission has kind of become the Great Suggestion. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven and he tells his disciples, he says, 
go into the world and teach the world and baptize, teaching them the things that I've taught you and I'll be with you. And that's, we call that the great commandment. And it was the commandment that it would be the thing that all Christians do, but we treat it more like a suggestion. If you've got time, if the opportunity presents itself, don't go out of your way, but should you find yourself in a position where someone is begging you for, for you to share your story of how you met Christ, then I suggest Jesus says to maybe do that. Now, maybe your Bible says that, but when I begin the book of Matthew, my Bible does not say that. Great commission. It's become more of a great suggestion. So let's find out about evangelism this morning. Open your Bibles to John chapter 4. We're going to kind of spend some time in John chapter 4. We're going to go through the whole chapter. So those of you who have something in the crock pot, it's probably going to work. We got 54 verses. You think I'm joking? I'm serious. Not really. All right, 54 verses. We're going to get it uh, done before uh, your bread in the oven explodes, which I don't know why it would explode. I, you can tell I don't spend a lot of time in the kitchen. I don't know. I can take scrambled eggs. That's about all I got. Scrambled eggs and hot dogs on the grill. So, John chapter 4. You have your Bibles? If not, uh, if you have your phone with you, you can uh, tune into the Uversion app. You will uh, click the little button on the Uversion that says live and do a search for vertical. You'll find all of the message notes in the scripture under uh, the title Invite. So, John chapter 4. I'm going to read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit. And when we leave today, you'll know why uh, inviting people to know Jesus is so important and how it is fleshed out in the scripture. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So Jesus is on a trip. You know, he's he's uh, finished, some, finished a, an assignment, finished a, uh, a job in Judea, and now he's on his way back. To Galilee, and a lot of people have made much about verse four when he says, "Now he had to go through Samaria." We could spend a long time talking about how good Jewish men and women didn't go through Samaria; they went around and took an extra time to go the long way. And we could spend all that time talking about that and never actually get to what we need to get to today. So we're not going to do that. So he said, "But we could," but we'd be here until like three o'clock in the afternoon. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So Jesus has been walking for a while, trying to get back to Galilee, and it's noontime, which it doesn't take a, a Bible scholar or a rocket science to figure out that it's getting a little hot outside. Right? Makes sense. Jesus is tired. He's been walking for a while. He's wanting to sit down and rest. So he sits down beside a well. Now, why would Jesus sit down beside a well in the middle of the day except that he was thirsty? Jesus didn't like float around, you know, float around on, 
on some kind of cloud and never drink water and never eat food. He's hot, he's tired, so he sits down beside a well hoping he can get himself something to drink. And sure enough, that's what happens next. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me something or will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Jesus didn't have anything to get in the well with. So this woman comes by and he says, Hey, give me a drink. It's not, it's not a crazy question that Jesus asks. It's pretty simple. There's water in the well. I've been walking all morning. It's really hot outside. Give me a drink. I'm kind of thirsty. But here the, the conversation starts to take a turn. You know, first we're talking about Jesus just wanting some really, you know, H, real H2O out of this well. And so he can touch it to his parched lips and get some thirst-quenching action going down his throat. But the conversation starts to turn so that we're talking about water, but we're talking about something else. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Well, explanation after that for Jews do not associate with Samaritans, which is true. Again, we could spend all morning talking about just that. We have some more stuff to get to. How can you ask me for a drink? Which I kind of feel like if Jesus is nearly as sarcastic as I am, because I'm thirsty. That's how I can ask you for a drink. I don't care who you are. I'm thirsty. I want some water. Jesus is probably a lot nicer than I am. Except he's kidding. I didn't even mean that joke. And it went over everybody's head and called me first. Nice. It's interesting how the Spirit makes those connections for you. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Oh, okay, now the conversation starts to take a little bit of a turn. We were talking about H2O water. Now Jesus is changing the conversation a little bit because there's an open opportunity that has presented itself that now Jesus can begin investing in this woman's life. That's what I talked last week about investing in the lives of those around you. Now Jesus has this opportunity. This, this moment has presented itself, so he's going to take full advantage of it. He doesn't care who she is, what kind of shape she's in, where she's from. Here's a chance. So you want to talk about water, and I'm thirsty, but I'm going to talk about water, Jesus says. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. See, she still thinks he's talking about water. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Because Jesus is thinking, well, yeah, I am. Who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. See, again, remember, Jesus is using the water to talk about water. Okay? It's not terribly confusing, but she's still kind of struggling with it. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a stream of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. So I've heard enough. Enough of you talking about the water that I'll never thirst again. Give me the water. How are you going to draw it out? Let's, let's find a bucket or something. Let's get this thing out. So I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you had five husbands. The man you have now is not your husband. 
Well, you have said, what you have just said is true. She goes on to say that she can see that he's a prophet. And she begins to ask him questions about worship and where they should worship because Samaritans and Jews disagreed on the location of worship. And Jesus engages in this conversation with her about salvation and about true worship and what it means to really know the Savior, to really know the Messiah. And finally she says she believes that the Messiah is coming and that when he comes that he'll have all the, the answers. He'll answer all the questions. The questions she just answered and the questions she hasn't answered yet. That the Messiah will reveal everything because the Messiah will reveal God. And Jesus says, I the one speaking to you and he. I am he. I am the Messiah. Now, this Samaritan woman, what Jesus tells her when he says, the fact is you have five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. The man you're living with now is not your husband. This woman recognized she needed help. This wasn't news to her. She knew she was messed up. And before you go and, and make some assumptions about this, this scripture, understand this. The, the Gospel of John, John doesn't tell us how she was messed up. Because sure, she could be an incredibly promiscuous woman who can't keep a husband and now is just shacking up with a dude. She could be that. She could also be the unluckiest woman alive who's gone through five husbands. They either abandoned her or died on her. And now some, some guy's just benevolent enough to take her in because she's lost everything five times. So a lot of times we read in and we just assume that this woman is far from God and living in sin. John doesn't say that. He just says... The words of Jesus, you have five husbands and now you're living with a guy that's not your husband. Why do I say that? Because there's all kinds of ways to be far from God. There's all sorts of ways to be far from God. And this woman is far from God. She's either far from God living in her sin or she's far from God living in hurt and pain and can't reach God. She can't reach out and, and know the Messiah because of the pain in her life. There's all sorts of ways to be far from God. People are far from God in the traditional sense. They don't go to church. They, don't, they may have never gone to church. They don't know God and could really, couldn't really care less about God, Jesus, church, or anything. When they see you driving around in your car with your little fish on the back, they avoid you because they don't really want to come in contact with you because they are far from God. Recently, my son Lex turned five years old and I had this bright idea a week before a week before his birthday party. Let's get him a trampoline. Now, I hadn't done any research on trampolines. I hadn't looked for one. I hadn't gone online to try to find one. I said, we should get him a trampoline. I'm going to find a trampoline. So I started looking on Craigslist because I'm not going to buy a new trampoline. Craigslist. Looked on Craigslist, kept researching. Finally, the day before his birthday party, I find a trampoline. A hundred bucks. Craigslist. Got a little bit of enforcement. I called him up. Uh, I said, hey, you still got that trampoline for sale? He said, yeah, I've got that trampoline for sale. I said, I want it. What do I need to do to come get it? Well, I get off work and afford it. I'll be there. So I showed up. Uh, over the enforcement. And you know, that's a scary situation. <laughs> All you people are like, I love you. You live in Portsmouth. You're awesome. Somebody's got to. 
Um, so I pull up, never been there before. And you know, you're always a little nervous. You get something off Craigslist because I went by myself, which is probably not a good idea. Um, but I went with the power of God. You know, I, I'm just praying as I'm pulling up. I'm like, dear Jesus, if this is a crazy person, uh, protect me. Let one of those John Hagee things come where they shoot at me and they just go around. <laughs> and so I pull up and I'm praying already uh, because I don't know the person. I pull up and I knock on the door and this guy opens the door who, for many of you, if you would picture a person far from God, and if I say that and you think of the guy, this is the guy. Okay? I mean, he's rough. I mean, he, this guy's lived pretty hard. Uh, and I'm like, uh, hey, I'm, you're about trembling? And he goes, your mic's in the shower. I'll wait out here. And so Mike comes out, and Mike is, if Mike and I got in a fight, no contest. Mike's going to win. Okay? I like to think that I can hold my own. I've had some Taekwondo, but Mike came in, Mike came in right out of the shower. He had a, a pair of khaki shorts on, but he didn't have a shirt on, and Mike didn't have any fat on his body. He was ripped. And I was, I was a little scared. Hey, something a little intimidating. Alright, uh, I'm here about the trampoline. Yeah, it's back here. So he shows it to you. And I'm talking with him and uh, talking about different things. I'm like, hey, where do you work? And he tells me where he works. And I said, well, man, why are you getting ready to trampoline? So he begins to tell me, he said, well, uh, you know, I had a fiance and she had two little girls and, and we broke up. And, uh, I just, I see that trampoline and I think of those little girls and I just got to get rid of it. I'm running my backyard. Wow, okay. Lucky for me, too. <laughs> Your bad fortune is not good. But I'm talking with him, and um, i got to tell you this before I jump into the serious part. The, the net and the poles were in the garage. He goes, uh, come in my garage with me. Uh, I've got the net poles in there. The, this is a little door. He didn't open up the, like, where the car goes. He just opened the little door and walks in. I'm like, Dear Jesus, I'm going to die. <laughs> but I did, because I'm still here. And so we're loading up. We've, we've taken the, the trampoline down, and we're loading it up, and I'm talking to him. And he says, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor at the church in Chesapeake. Matter of fact, Mike, we've just been talking about different things. And i got to tell you, I, you may have heard this a hundred times before, but Jesus loves you. And I know you feel like life is just collapsing in on you right now. And I know like your fiance left and you just get rid of everything that reminds you of her. And I don't know what you've done and where you've been, but you need to know something. God loves you. Jesus loves you. So we sat there, me, you know, this, I think I can kind of hold my own, and this very, very, very muscular man sitting without a shirt on, sitting in the front of his house, just, just telling a little bit about Jesus. He can, I just hear the pain in your voice and encourage you to give your life to Jesus. And he goes, yeah. He kind of gave me the excuse, I got to get back in church, you know, uh, but I don't know. But there are people who are far from God like Mike in traditional sense. He didn't care about church. It's not on his radar. Jesus isn't anywhere in his thoughts today. He's got his own agenda, his own ideas of what he's going to do. But 
There are people like that that are far from God that you need to reach out to. And then there are people like my neighbor behind us. You know, in the Hurricane Irene, we lost power for several days. And my neighbor is incredibly kind. Incredibly kind. He catches me. I'm, I'm trying to pick up the sticks in the backyard and uh, pile them up so eventually at some point somebody's going to come pick them up out of the front. I don't know when this happens, but we're still there. So eventually they are going to just go away, I guess, just disappear. But I had, we had actually we talked a little bit because they've got a dog and we've got a dog and our dog's in that. We had talked briefly. Because of the hurricane, we actually talked for a long time. We've talked several times since. We've got each other's phone number. Occasionally, he just calls me and says, hey, I noticed this in your house. So I was talking to him the other night. We were just you know, talking about different things. And he knows about the church. And we were talking. He said, yeah, I used to go to church. My wife and I we used to go all the time. And we just, we just don't anymore. We really need to, really need to you know, we really like him. We went to this church. And, you know, a couple, you know, some things got said, and uh, my mom got hurt, and she is doing this in New York now, and we just haven't been back. So there are people like Mike that I bought the tree link from, couldn't care about God. God is not on his radar. Church is nowhere in his thoughts. And then there could be guys like, guys and, and ladies like my neighbor behind me who, they used to go to church. They used to be dedicated to church. But something happened. Something in life happened that threw them off course, that knocked them to the side, and, and they're far from God. But then there's a whole other category of people, and nobody thinks about these people. There's a whole category of people who are far from God who sit in our auditorium every week, who sit in these seats, attend churches all around our community. Every Sunday they're there, and they're far from God. How can you say that, Pastor? They're in church. They're listening to the Word. They're, they're volunteering. They're following the rules. They're not following Jesus. See, it's possible to be far from God and sit in church every week because your heart has grown cold to the things of God, and your spirit has grown cold to the presence of God. You do what you do because it's what you've always done. Your mom and dad went to church. Your grandma and grandpa went to church. You grew up in church. They had to, they had to pause and interrupt service because your mama went into labor and she was singing on stage. You were born on a Sunday. If the ambulance had to come or they had to rush your mama out, you would have been born in a prayer line. But it's what you've always done. And so... You're thinking back and you're going, you know what, I, 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 I don't really have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Now, these people, these people who are far from God, they may say they are Christians, but their lifestyles, they don't, it doesn't represent Christianity, it doesn't represent Christ. One pastor that I read calls these people Christian atheists. I like that. I'm actually thinking about doing a whole series on Christian atheists next spring. I believe in God, but, as I've said before, a lot of us need to get the butt out of the way. The reason a lot of church people are passionate about talking about Jesus is because they've never met him for themselves. 
Do you know only about 3 to 5 percent of Christian believers, people who claim to follow Christ, have ever actually led someone to Christ? Only about 3 to 5 percent. You know what I hope? I hope our church flips that statistic on its head. I hope in the coming days and months and years that someone will say a vertical church. You know the people that's in vertical church, the believers that it's in vertical church, only about three to five percent of them have never led someone to Christ. Because our hearts are full of passion as we're doing what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? Let's jump back to the Samaritan woman. Jesus invests in her life. That's the first part. Now what she does immediately after she meets the Savior is what I want to talk to you about today. John chapter 4. We're going to jump to verse 28. We're going to read verses 28 through 30 and then jump down to 39 through 42. You've got to watch this. You've got to watch this because this woman does something amazing. Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the very reason she came to the well She's overwhelmed and overconsumed. She's so full of the encounter that she just had with Jesus Christ that the very reason she came to the well, she leaves it there. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? The town... Here's what they did. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Jump down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because, and if you are the kind of person that writes in your Bible or highlights or circles or underlines, underline the word because. I don't know if you're an English major, but it would take a lot of English knowledge to understand that the word because has a cause and effect kind of relationship. When you say something happens because, you're saying that something else happened and the result of that was this. So this woman told them about Jesus and they came to believe in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, Many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This messed up woman. She's either messed up because she's a sex fiend, or she's messed up because she's had a horrible life. But regardless, this messed up, far from God woman meets Jesus and immediately becomes the very first missionary in the Gospel of John. Immediately. She doesn't go to Bible school. She doesn't go to seminary. She doesn't take a class on evangelism. She doesn't get the three points of evangelism. She doesn't hear a message. She meets Jesus and immediately begins to tell people about three things that I want you to know about evangelism from this story. Number one, if you've got something to write with, you can flip your program over and write these things down. Three takeaways from this story. Number one comes from verse 29. The first thing you need to know about evangelism is comes from verse 29. It's this. Come see a man. It's all about Jesus. Evangelism is all about 
Jesus. Inviting someone to know Christ, inviting someone to church is all about Jesus. It's not about a person. It's not about a building. It's not about a church. It's not about expanding the number of people we can fit in the auditorium. It's about Jesus. Come see not a person. Don't come see the pastor preach. Don't come see Hope sing. Don't come see the band play. Come see a man named Jesus. That's it. Inviting people to, to church, inviting people to know Christ, sharing the gospel is about one thing and one thing only, introducing them to Jesus Christ. She wasn't the smartest or best student in the class, but she could invite people to Christ. She didn't have all of the answers. She didn't even get all of the story from Jesus. She met him long enough to have her life transformed and changed, and that's all it took for her to tell the story about Jesus. You know, sometimes sometimes we get this attitude like we gotta fight with people. Like we gotta argue with them. Or we gotta we gotta convince them of the truth of what we believe. No, no, no. Come see a man Jesus. That's all. That's all. Well I heard you were this kind of church. I heard that, that your pastor knows what that might be so come see a man. That's why we do church. Now I want you to take the pen that you were given when you came in. Got it? Your hand? Okay, you put a pen on your right. On the back of it, I want you to write a date. I want you to write this date, September 18th. Right, September 18th. You're getting one week notice. If you're here today, one week notice. Next week, we are going to present the gospel straightforward, honest, real. So that your family and friends that you invite, that you bring, whether you've got to feed them before they get here, whether you've got to promise them an outback state when they leave, get them here. We're going to present the gospel. We're going to present Jesus, nothing but Jesus and all about Jesus. And Jesus is going to save their lives. September the 18th, you've got one week notice. We've got about 2,000 invite cards still left to hand out. One week there are two things I need you to do this week. I need you to pray like crazy. I need you to pray like crazy. Pray like you are, you never have a chance to pray again. When you find yourself with nothing to do, pray. When you find yourself with something to do that's not important, stop and pray. Pray over the service. Pray over the worship experience. Pray over me. Pray over the band. Pray over our volunteers. Pray, 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 pray. Then you invite like crazy. Invite like crazy. Matter of fact, you can take that program that you received on the back of it. Be a good idea to write a couple of names in. Then take that, take it home with you, and put it on the refrigerator with a magnet. Every time you go to open your refrigerator door, you see that name. That's who you're praying for. You say, what if they live in my house? Well, they don't know who they pray for. Why is my name in the refrigerator? Because I'm praying for you. You will come to church with me this Sunday. No, I'm not. I'm going to feed you. You're going to come to church with me this Sunday. Number two, verses 30 and 39. Verse 30 says, they came out of the town and made their way. Verse 39 says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. First thing you need to know is all about Jesus. Come see him. 
Now, a lot of people get all uptight about evangelism. Like, are you going to tell evangelism? Are you come and see evangelism? Is your church a missional church or an attractional church? Yes. Yes. Go tell people that they need to come see Jesus. We are on a mission to make the gospel of Jesus Christ attract people. We are on a mission to attract them to Jesus. So if you're all uptight about it, you go and tell church or come and see church. Missional church or attractional church? Yes, we are all the above. We're a church about Jesus. And how, what are we going to do? If we're going to come see Jesus or go tell Jesus, we'll do it. I don't know if you guys got the soapbox. I got angry at that. People try to label stuff. It's dumb. Verses 30 and 39 tell me to not be the weak link. You remember that TV show, The Weakest Link? Man, that woman was scary. You mess up and she's like, you all, The Weakest Link. Oh, man. That woman was frightening. I would not like to meet her in a dark alley and have her stare at me and say, Pastor Josh, you all, The Weakest Link. But don't be The Weak Link. Did you notice why the people in the town came to know Jesus? Because she told them about it. So she was the link between people who were far from God and Jesus Christ. Jesus used her to bring people who didn't know him to know him. He used a link. Don't be a weak link. Who are you preventing today from not coming to God because you decided not to reach them? Don't be a weak link. You love them, don't you? Let me tell you a story. I, I've got all kinds of stories. I haven't preached in three weeks, okay? We might be here till six o'clock. <laughs> I was fixing a sandwich the other day. I was fixing an egg sandwich. I was pouring everything that I had into the sandwich. I had the white bread. You know, not the like sandwich loaf bread, but we went, before I read, we went to the grocery store to get bread and all the bread was gone so we had to buy the fancy bread the real wide with like sprinkles on it <laughs> and I was fixing the sandwich I had toasted my bread and I had, I had fixed my egg and I had I put oregano and pepper in my mixed it up in my egg and cheese and it was going to oh man I had uh, Dijon mustard and man I was fixing a good sandwich and uh, I had my egg laying on top of my bread another piece of bread it's nice and toasted perfectly toasted by the way. Like sometimes it's a little too dark, sometimes it's not like it's perfect. Hub comes in, she like, makes one look at my egg and she goes, I don't think that egg's finished. I don't think it's done. I said, what? She said, I don't think your egg is done. I said, it's done, it's fine. She goes, no, I don't think it's done, really. You should check it. So I looked at it and sure enough, it's not done. It's still runny. Like yolk is all over my bread. Ruined my sandwich. I was mad. I was so mad that I didn't even say a word. I took the plate, went over to the trash, threw the plate in the sink, and I was like, I don't even need to eat. I don't even eat much. I was mad. She ruined my sandwich. Well, she didn't, but I did. But she told me about it. But you know what? When you care for somebody and you don't want to see them do something stupid, Tell them. When you love somebody and you care about it and they're about to do harm to themselves, you tell them. Don't be the weak link. 
You love them, tell them about Jesus. They're about to do something stupid with their life. They're about to hurt themselves with their life. They're living a life that's pointless and meaningless, without purpose and without calling. You have it because you have the story of Jesus. Jesus wants to use you as the link to connect him to them. Don't be the weak link. She's not going to let me eat a sandwich that's going to hurt my stomach. Don't let your friend go without knowing Christ because you're uncomfortable. Don't let your family member go without knowing Jesus because you don't want to offend them. Here's the last thing. This is what it all comes down to. This is just a summary. This is, you know, this is the whole story. This is the whole story right here. If you, know, if you leave this place knowing one thing, this is all you need to know. If you didn't take notes before, take this one. If you didn't write anything, write this down. Found people, find people. Period. Found people, find people. Period. She's found by Jesus, so she goes and finds people who are far from Jesus. The moment she saw him as Savior, she immediately started telling others about him. This woman was saved out of great distress. She was either one or the other, but she lost everything. And regardless, she knew she was in need. And when you find Jesus, you recognize that you're in the middle of your mess, but Jesus delivers you. And you can't help but tell others about his goodness, about his grace, about his love, about his power to change your life. Evangelism is this. It's one, I heard somebody, this is an original me. I'll write this down. Pastor John said this. This is not original. One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's it. I was a beggar. I found Jesus. You're a beggar. I'm going to show you Jesus. We get all uptight about being offensive, but sharing Jesus is simply talking about the joy that we found in Jesus. You know what? We, there's actually a reason we all have one all, but many of us have football jerseys on because we're fans. We are a fan of that team. Dave's a fan of the Bills. I'm not going to get offended when Dave tells me about his team. Now, not only that, but Dave's going to tell me how great his team is. Not really, it's the Bills. <laughs> Let's find somebody else. Uh, Bill, he's got a Packers jersey on. There we go. Let's hear that analogy. Jesus and the Bills didn't really work for me. Sorry. Bill's got a Packers jersey on. He's going to tell me how great the Packers are. I'm not going to be offended because that's Bill's team. Another way to think about this, when your friend goes and eats at a good restaurant, I ate at Patty's place the other day and I got, what is that, a hot, it's a hot panini that looks like chicken. It was good, I'm telling you all, Patty's place got great paninis. Nobody's offended at that. Why? Because I had a good sandwich and I want you to have a good sandwich too. And if you like good sandwiches, you should go to Patty's. When we experience something good and beneficial and full of joy, we tell people, when I go to a movie and I watch a movie and I say, hey, Captain America's a really great movie. Nobody's offended by that. Because I'm just telling you about something that has brought me joy. 
We don't get mad when somebody tells us about something they enjoy. They're uptight thinking people are going to get mad at you because you tell them about Jesus, but you tell them about something you enjoy. Something that's changed your life. The joy that you found in God. The love that you found in Jesus. You don't get offended when you tell them about joy. We've been passing these things out all week. We got more to pass out. You're sitting here. If you took a stack last week, I hope you got rid of it. Because there's a lot more to get rid of. I've gotten rid of something, I've got to get rid of more. Because family people find me. Family people find me. Period. Period. Nowhere in the gospel you see someone whose life is changed by Jesus. And they go ambivalently through their town, not caring. Unaffected by that transformation that happened. If you've been found by Jesus, it's time to find other people for Jesus. To be the link that introduces them to salvation. This morning, you have the opportunity to participate on a team that is as old as any team. Packers have a start date, the Jets have a start date, the Redskins have a start date. Our team start date is in the beginning. God created. You have an opportunity to be on God's team. To tell people about the joy that you found in Christ. And we've given you a, a tool, a resource, something very easy. And you say, that's silly, Pastor Josh. I can't invite somebody to church with a little
invite them to your church, give them that card. If they show up at your church, great. If they show up at my church, great. We're not concerned about what fish go in what aquarium. We just want more fish in the water. Care what aquarium they're in. So we agree to do that. It's not that difficult. But take a pastoral degree to do it. Matter of fact, Samaritan woman did it. She had just spent a few minutes with Jesus. You can do it too.